Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Who are those guys? I'm Galen. And I'm Doug. And we're those movie guys. Bringing movie reviews and previews to the masses since 2007. This is Monday, July 9th, 2007. Today on the show, we find out if Michael Bay's Transformers is really more than meets the eye. We take a hidden gem review look at the 1985 film The Black Cauldron from Disney. And then, in honor of our uh, look at Transformers, we're going to take a look back on our top five favorite films that make us nostalgic for childhood. But first, we'll take a look at our review of the box office blockbuster, I'm sure it will be, Transformers. Well, now we get the opportunity to completely geek out on our review of Transformers, directed by Michael Bay. I think it's safe to say that after the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Transformers were among our favorite childhood icons. We both collected small armies of the action figures in the 80s and watched the cartoon religiously. So we were fairly excited to see that a new film reimagining the series was to be released. Unfortunately, our enthusiasm dwindled somewhat when we saw it was going to be live action, and even more so when we learned that perennial underachiever Michael Bay would be directing. But, train wreck or not, being the fanboys we are, we couldn't resist seeing this film opening weekend. So my question to you is, now that you've seen it, is it Michael's... Is Michael Bay's film worthy of the Autobots logo, or is it just another case of a filmmaker raping our childhood memories for cold, hard cash? Well, I, I'm i going to... I hate fence-sitting, but I think that's squarely where I'm going to be for a lot of this review. <laughs> I think me, too. Uh, you know, I, I think what Michael Bay does well, he does very well. And and that is the action scenes are really well done. And yes, let's face they it, are. what's cooler than giant robots smashing each other and destroying buildings? It, and, not a whole lot is cooler than right. that. And and they're all shot really well. The the computer animation is fantastic. It is great. The special effects all around <laughs> yeah. are amazing. It's among the best I've ever seen. It's it's um, I I could not believe it was computer animated. It was phenomenal. And it, it kind of made me long for the old studio days. You know, back in the 40s and 50s, whenever studios would have directors under contract, a lot of times different directors would direct different scenes of movies. And it made me wish we still had that. Because if you could take a Michael Bay and say, we have these action scenes we need directed... And get him to do that. And then and nothing else. And, yeah, and then you've got a Guillermo del Toro or an Alfonso Cuaron to direct the human interaction parts. I think you could have a fantastic film. Unfortunately, that's not how it works anymore. <laughs> so Michael Bay is good at some things, horrible at others. I, I will, I'm going to give him credit for one more thing besides the action scene. And that's I. And this isn't so much credit to him as credit to Shia LaBeouf. I really liked him. In this. Yeah, I, I mean, we've seen him in other films, and and he he's been good in all of them. 
And I think the parts with him and Megan Fox and Bumblebee yeah. really work. I think there's a real interesting human story going on there. And he's a compelling character. There, the humor actually works in those parts, which I don't think any of the humor in any of the other parts works at all. I thought it was no, horrible. In fact, they don't use a lot of it toward the latter half, but well, you're yeah. right, the times they do... It, it, it falls it flat, except for the bumble. I, I mean, the parts with Shia LaBeouf and Mega Fox, Megan Fox, were hilarious. Mm. I mean, the the pheromones joke was yeah, hilarious, yeah. and and uh, Bumblebee when he's playing the different songs, that's mm-hmm. hilarious too. So that really works. I I think some of that's the writing, some of the direction. I think a lot of it is Shia LaBeouf's persona. But I'm going to shut up and let you talk about what you liked before I start trashing it. Well, I, I have a feeling we'll, we're along the same lines on this. Again, I love the special effects. I love the action scenes. They were very intense, but they weren't as all over the place as some of the past yeah. action blockbusters have been, like Spider-Man, where I you know, almost wanted to induce vomiting. Yeah. The camera whips around so much, and they're... He is an excellent director of action scenes. Yes, he is. I mean, fantastic. He is. For me, where things started to go awry was the the supporting characters yeah. of it. First of all, there's too many. <laughs> yeah. Second of all, they kind of spend a lot of time introducing them only to have them maybe shoot one bullet and then they're out of the movie. You know, they yeah. don't... There's a lot of exposition for... Nothing. Nothing. You're absolutely right. I, I really felt that the entire Defense Department scenes with John Voight, <laughs> yeah. and and um, I, I can't even recall her name, Rachel Taylor, who played Maggie, mm-hmm. I thought those... You could completely have cut out every single one of those scenes, and your movie wouldn't have faltered at all. At all. It. And I felt the same way with the, the Air Force soldiers. I don't think you need them in this film. Why can't you just have unnamed soldiers doing their job exactly, for them? Exactly, right. Uh, but you have to take kind of the Michael Bay approach yeah. and show his wife and his new daughter. And this is how he failed in Armageddon, and yeah. this is how he failed in Pearl Harbor. It's like if you're making a simple action film, that's okay, but don't give us needless exposition. This is why directors that are great at, at action films, like... Steven Spielberg with the Raiders of the Lost Ark and George Lucas with the original Star Wars trilogy (laughs) were great because they didn't give us needless exposition. We don't need to know who every single rebel trooper is. Right, right. And, you know, another issue, too, is I think you'd agree with me, judging from your comments, that Shia LaBeouf and Megan Fox are the emotional core of this film. Right. They are what it revolves around. Well, then why the hell do you open your movie... With the Air Force soldiers. I mean, we spend the first, what is it, about 15 minutes? Probably at least. With with those soldiers. And it makes no sense at all. Why not open with Shia LaBeouf? Well, I think there there's a lot of editing that could be done. This movie, oh, yeah. this movie <laughs> goes over two hours, well over, in fact. Two, two hours and 22 minutes. Yes. And... You know, that that first 15 minutes with the Air Force soldiers right there, 
could have been knocked out. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the other exposition scenes for these sort uh, supporting characters could have been knocked out. You could have easily had probably a film at an hour and a half, hour forty five minutes. You could have, and I think then you could have added some scenes like giving us more of the Autobots and the Decepticons. Right. I don't. That it I almost think that's seems like fail. their war starts too late in the movie. Yeah, and you don't get to know the Autobots and Decepticons too well. Mm-hmm. I mean. I don't think you need to know them as well as you do Shia LaBeouf, but I think some... I'd like to know them better than John Voight, and and I don't feel that you really do. Right, and and as, while we're still on characters, and you happen to mention Megan Fox, I'd like to talk about her. <laughs> uh, among, we among all? other reasons. Uh, her or her cleavage? Uh, <laughs> we'll get to the cleavage after this comment. Right. I actually thought they ruined her character. Okay. All right. I I took her, I thought of her as more of a supporting character than Shia LaBeouf. You know, this is the girl Shia is trying to impress, and he kind of, he does so, of course, with the car. I didn't like how they kind of turned her into more of a a badass girl. Oh, she's got a criminal record and stuff. Yeah. And now she's pretty much helping fighting and everything. Not that I'm saying, you know, she isn't a strong girl or anything, but... You know, during those scenes, I almost view her as the soldiers. It's like, yeah. they're nameless. You yeah. know, I, I think she should have been... Well, well then, then you we know, honestly, much, I, I do kind of agree with you, but at the same time, I think so much else is wrong that's so much worse okay, in this well, film. That's that very it's, true. It's kind of like someone lying with their leg chopped off and complaining about a headache. It's like, it, you know, you <laughs> have bigger things to worry about at the moment. So, there's that. I think another issue is John Turturro's character. He worked, but why was he channeling Christopher Walken? You know, honestly, didn't you get that whenever he was walking around that he was trying to be Christopher Walken? I don't know that I drew Christopher Walken out of it, but I didn't really like his character. No, no. I I think, actually, maybe if they had cast Christopher Walken, that might have worked. Yeah, I think so. I I just kept getting that that's what he was trying to do. It was just a very bizarre performance, which I think could have worked in the hands of a more skilled actor. But, uh... Not that I'm going to bash John Turturro too badly, but I I just don't think it worked in this film. And it does have moments like that where it goes too comic at times. And it almost seems to cross that line. And like I said, other than the stuff with Bumblebee and Shia LaBeouf, the comedy falls flat. It's not funny. It it just is awkward. Yeah, for me, it's... Almost like a half and half. Whenever you have Shia and Bumblebee, and even a lot of the stuff with his family, that stuff's funny. Yeah. But then whenever you know the the war finally kind of breaks out, they use almost. Uh, I'm gonna have to look at the notes here for <laughs> for the uh, names here. We have well Maggie, <laughs> <laughs> Rachel Taylor, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't laugh at me. Rachel Taylor and Anthony Anderson. Yes, yes. All right, those two kind of become the comic relief. Yeah, yes, yeah, sort and of. that's where I think it starts to fall flat. Yeah. I mean, some of the other comments, like the uh, John Turturro character, didn't work, and he was kind right. of used for Oh, yeah, for he comic was comic relief. relief. I, I, he was horrible. But uh, the, the stuff before was, was fine, and, and a lot of fun. 
I have a feeling I'm not going to score this as low as you. Yeah. Because well, we'll I'm going to recommend seeing it. I think it is highly entertaining. I think it's very fun to watch, aside from these miscues. Yeah. But for a film that is more about entertainment than art, I guess I can forgive it a little more. So I'm going to... Oh, if I have to do one more nitpick. It's okay. about all Michael Bay films. Is that he rips the same damn soundtrack. It yeah. sounds like out of every... Every film. It, yeah, it's a very generic, and, oh, we're gonna get them! Yeah, type you of. know, the, those orchestra swells yeah. and stuff. Uh, very same, manipulative. Same thing here. In fact, a lot of times I was waiting to see Bruce Willis come trotting out oh. in the space uniform. And, Absolutely but right. never happened. Anyways, back to the scoring. Um, I'm going to give it a three and a half. Okay, well, I am going longer than that. <laughs> I'm not going to kill it, because I agree with you that it is entertaining. I, I think... Though, that only in the parts with Shia LaBeouf, because I was honestly very... I was not entertained, even, in the parts that didn't have Shia LaBeouf. I was just bored. Even even the action sequences, because I didn't care what happened to the characters, so I don't care how the action turns out. What about out. the uh, their president that they had? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that was needless, too, but, you know. But anyways, I'm not going to kill it, though, because the parts that work did work very well. So I'm going to give it a two and a half. I, a slight, slight unrecommendation or disrecommendation. <laughs> well, from time to time, we like to discuss a hidden gem, a film that was great, but for whatever reason people haven't seen or given the credit it deserves. Today we turn our attention to the dying art of the 2D animated film with 1985's The Black Cauldron. Part of the reason this film lacks success is Disney's attempt to redefine their brand. In the mid-80s, the animated film was not as successful as it had been, and the studio hoped to bring a darker, slightly more mature feel to their films. However, the experiment ultimately flopped and resulted in the later Disney revival of the animated musical with The Little Mermaid, a trend which would continue with wild success for nearly a decade. However, what about Disney's little experiment? The Black Cauldron has no singing villain, no talking mice, and the evils are far more palpable than in, say, Aladdin. So, did The Black Cauldron deserve to be a failed experiment, or is it a hidden gem? Well, I think we've already stated it was a hidden gem, and I, I agree with you. I'm not going to let you read all that and then disagree. <laughs> That's good. That's <laughs> no, it, it is a hidden gem. It really is. And, in fact, it's movies like this that, you know, frustrate me that here in America, animation is viewed primarily for kids. Yeah. You know, it, it's it can be just as high an art form <clears throat> as live action. In fact, mm -hmm. you know, you can take a lot of creative license with animation that sometimes you just can't set up or stage in a live-action oh, film. Yeah. Now, of course, CG animation, as we just discussed in Transformers, is getting a lot better. Yeah, and we are later. kind of approaching that yeah, point. Yeah, you're, you're not going to be able to tell. And soon. certainly the Star Wars prequels, I mean, they got to the point where they had no sets whatsoever. Right, right. So, we are getting to that point. Right. But. Although, I still would argue that stylization is difficult in live action, because you can't stylize actors yet. We're not 
quite to the point where you can have the, quote, synthespians that actually work on the same level as an animated character. That is very true. And as far as CGI goes, you know, I almost credit that as another fault. It seems nowadays, American animation, that's all it is. Yeah. You know, like Monsters, Inc. and Ratatouille, which are fine films. I haven't seen Ratatouille yet, but it looks funny. But I, I still miss, you know, the times watching Japanese anime where... They are crafted with very adult tones, you know, yeah. very dark, and not just their their animation isn't just well. Yeah, they and they I, view it as a medium rather than a genre, right? Exactly, and that's, that's the problem with America is that we view it as a genre, right? And I don't even mean to single out Japan. Yeah, pretty much we're about the only country. Yeah, although Japan is probably the... I mean, because I believe something like 70% of all of their medium is animated right. that they create. It's it's a large amount. Right. Well, yeah, I, I definitely agree with those points, and, and specifically with The Black Cauldron. I, I love the dark style of the animation. You know, I thought it was fantastic. They had a great use of shadow and, mm-hmm. and smoke and cloud that really... It gave it a darker feel than any Disney oh, movie yeah. you can name. The movie had a lot of atmosphere. To yeah. It, a lot. The danger feels much more real than in most Disney fi- films. I, the Horn King is probably the scariest Disney villain there is, other than maybe the demon from uh, the Hall of the Mountain King segment on Fantasia, yeah. which actually was only re-added in the past ten years yeah. to Fantasia, so... It wasn't even around at the time. But, I mean, the Horn King is very frightening. I mean, you, even for an adult, you, you get the sense of menace from him. Mm-hmm. And the ending is a lot darker. There's a lot more of a hint of foreboding than you would normally get from a Disney film, except for possibly The Lion King, which has a fairly dark ending as well. Right. Well, I agree with all of that. Um, I actually... You know, I didn't get a chance to see this film, obviously, when it came back. Yeah. In fact, I don't, I'm not even sure I had heard of it. No, I'd never heard of it until... we saw it in a high school class. And that was my first experience with it. So, obviously, then, you know, just being more mature that... I have to wonder if I seen it, had seen this movie as a kid, what my reaction to it was. Because, you know, there's even some mild blood and stuff in this bloodshed, yeah, isn't slight. there? Yeah, Yeah, and from what I've researched, some of the scenes that were cut out of the movie, of which there are quite many, involved, like, a woman's dress getting slashed in almost yeah. partial nudity, and they were removed, and the film kind of yeah, suffers. Yeah, never restored, no, not in the never, States. never, never. And uh, I guess the film somewhat suffers, because there's a couple of the, these cut parts where you'll notice like a jump in the soundtrack yeah. or something. I guess a lot of them they took out smoothly, but Yeah, and it, I mean this is a case of Disney doing what Disney does in that they go half ass. Mm-hmm. You know, and and part of the reason Disney is failing right now is because they lack the courage to do something different. And maybe if they would have gone all out with the Black Cauldron and and challenged themselves to try to be a little darker and kept those scenes in, perhaps it wouldn't have flopped. Right. I, I mean, I still think even with the cut scenes, it's a great film. Oh, yeah. But, I do too. 
if they would have gone all out, it, it would have reached perhaps a different audience who would have appreciated Right, it. I mean, you got to have confidence behind your product. You could almost see this movie as something they put out and kind of bow away from, saying, yeah. you know, here it is, uh, kind of chew on this for a while till we come up with something else yeah. that's going to make a ton yeah, of money Because Disney for is cowardly. I mean, they don't, they're afraid to go too far and to piss people off. Which I guess can be said of most large studios, not just Disney. But I mean, I think that's also the problem, uh, getting back to the state of animation. It, I, I think another problem is the fact that Disney almost has had a monopoly on animation until just the past few years. Right. When in, in Pixar, even though they're technically their own entity, I don't know if you'd still say they're not part of Disney. I mean, because clearly they're that genealogy. Right. And uh, and then you have DreamWorks, which doesn't do a whole lot, but every once in a while comes up with something. And I believe they did Titan AE, which was that another was one that movie, was, yes. that was uh, kind of looked past, but it was pretty good. And we are going to see The Simpsons at some point, I think later this month, so... Maybe it will be better. I'm not counting on it. But... <laughs> Poor Simpsons. But yeah. So what else would you like to add about the Black Hole? Well, I agree that you had mentioned it doesn't have any singing villains, no talking right. mice. You know, I think that helps the film to be a little more believable too. Like you said, that makes you feel it's more real. The danger's real. Yeah. And I, I think that's that was a good way to go. Oh, definitely. I like the, I, the color palette. It's a lot of reds and earth tones. and Yeah. Definitely a great style to it. I, you know, I'd like to comment. I do have a couple gripes with it. I, okay. mean, I think it's a great film, but there are two issues I have. One is I think some of the voice acting is mildly irritating. I, I'm thinking of Gurji. He basically, it, it, it's kind of like a prototype Jar Jar, in a sense, mm -hmm. you know, kind of an irritating voice. And I also think, th and this is part of Disney being afraid to go balls out, is I feel there's an unevenness in tone where they, there are times when it almost gets into that Disney lighthearted comedy realm, and it, it feels out of place, it just sticks out, because that's not this film. And wherever you see the dark color palette and the shadows and the smoke and, and fog, and then you see like a character acting like Thumperwood and Bambi, <laughs> it does. It's it sticks out at you, and and you're not sure where it belongs. And like I said, I think that's a, another case of Disney's cowardice. Right. But it is a slight flaw in the film. So, what would you give Black Cauldron? Well, I still think it's great, even with all the, the minor nitpicks, and it's definitely a hidden gem, and you should definitely see it. I'm giving it a four. I'm giving it a four as well. I agree with everything you just said. You definitely need to check it out and give it a try. Oh, to be a kid again. We're going to talk now about five movies that take us back to our childhood. Those days of nostalgia. And we will let you start. Alright, my number five pick is Citizen Kane. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> That'd be a very strange childhood. I guess I could have gone Clockwork Orange. That would have been. How yeah. about the fact that you weren't born <laughs> at that time? Well, well, I guess you could have seen. Yeah, it as these. A child, well, so. I'm not, and I'm not necessarily going. I all of my films, but number five, are films that I watched as a child and enjoyed them. Right. Number five is a little different. Number five is Star Trek: First Contact. Okay. The, the the only good movie that the next generation cast made, and it was the one with the Borg. And why I'm picking that is because whenever I was a child, I loved watching Star Trek. I just I loved watching it every week, every night, really, because it was on every night at seven o'clock, and I just loved it. And I I think that whenever I watch the movie, it kind of reminds me of that. But all and the movies have that. sucked. All the next generation <laughs> movies have sucked, except for First Contact. And that's why I picked that. Okay. Well, not a bad explanation. I didn't pick any Star Trek movies, but I will admit, you know, like you said, the fact that these You never watched are, Star Trek, so no, it wouldn't really no, be. <laughs> I never really did. But uh, the, the movies I have on my list, like you said, aren't necessarily, you know... A crit- critically acclaimed, they're just no. stuff that I enjoyed as a kid. My number five choice is Back to the Future. Oh, that's a good one. I forgot about now, that. Now, I love the first one, of course, the most. Yeah. The second one and the third one are all right, yeah. but not near as good as the first one. The first one was the best. See, I, I'm going to disagree with that. Uh, just... Maybe as terms of a better film, but for whatever reason, I've always liked the third better. Really? Because the third just doesn't care. It doesn't take itself seriously in any sense, and it just, Robert Zemeckis just has a ball with it. And I think that works. I think even in the first one, granted it has a lot of humor, but it takes itself seriously a little more than I think it should. That's that's a valid complaint. I... I Certainly don't dislike the second and the yeah. third, but I, I think the original was my favorite. It, it's, you know, the first movie that brought me into the kind of the whole creative thing. There was four years apart between the first and the second. Yeah. And I'm fairly... I know I didn't see this movie in the theaters. It was probably... Had to be when it came out to rent. But I know I saw it, of course, in order. I saw the first and yeah. the second and the third. So it was probably more along the lines of 87 or 88 when I finally got to see it. But mm-hmm. the original Back to the Future did release in 1985. It's my first choice. First, that, number five. That is a good po- a choice. I completely forgot about it. Well, my number four, I'm cheating. I'm going to have a tie. Because these two are so close together. King Kong... The 1933 version, of course. The one that made you cry. It did. It did. It's sad. And then Godzilla, the 1954 version. Because I hated the remake. (laughs) So, anyways, these movies... I I really liked all monster movies whenever I was a kid. But those two were the best. Uh, King Kong vs. Godzilla, I also have to admit I enjoyed. Horrible movie, but (laughs) it's definitely fun because every kid wants to know who would kick whose ass, Mm -hmm. and that movie answers that important question for us. So, who who doesn't like giant monsters destroying buildings? Especially a kid. I still like it. We just watched giant robots destroying buildings. That's my number four. Alright. Well, my number four (laughs) choice... 
is from 1986, the movie Labyrinth. Oh. Yep. I've actually never seen Labyrinth. Are you kidding? No, I'm not. Well, I, David Bowie, right? Yes, and Jennifer Connelly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> now, I had trouble deciding whether I wanted to put this on or the Dark Crystal. Yeah. But I wanted puppets on my list. <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't decide. I decided to go with Labyrinth. I think Dark Crystal is probably the best. I'll let you movie. do a tie. I had to tie. <laughs> all right, all right. We, we'll call it a tie. The reason I did decide with Labyrinth, though, is actually for its soundtrack. Labyrinth is more musical, mm-hmm. you know, with David Bowie <laughs> singing his song. Very odd. It is odd, but and it reminds me every time I see the movie because my cousin had the soundtrack of which he played damn near every yeah. second, and so <laughs> I, I can always remember the music to this movie and. You know, the real cheesy special effects and the the farting marsh and a lot of the locales are, are kind of funny. and Yeah. I'm actually surprised I never bought this for nostalgia's, sta- for nostalgia's sake on DVD, but I don't mm-hmm. own it. It was my brother who actually had it. Oh, that, that's a good pick. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> my number three is The Princess Bride. Oh, that's a good movie. Yeah. yeah, we you know, and actually, I think the first time I watched this was at your house. I, I think, think we had rented it, yeah, or, or your friend, an, a mutual friend, brought it over or something, and I just loved it. And I would, it, it's one of those movies that has the fortune of being on TV every second, <laughs> and it was even when we were kids. Yes, and so we would watch it all the time, and. I, I I have so many lines of it completely memorized. I just love that movie. And, you know, you get to see young Kevin Savage and all sorts of <laughs> strange actors and yeah. weird situations. Andre the Giant. Andre the Giant, and, yes. Um, God rest his soul. What, what's the name of uh, Wallace Shawn? The, Is he the bald-headed yes, guy? The yes, dealer in Wallace Vegas Shawn, vacation? So. Yeah. Yeah, so and and Stewie's evil brother and uh, Family Guy. <laughs> so that's my number three. That's a good choice too. It is. My number three is, I guess, not so much a tie as I'm including a, the whole series as my number three choice, and it's the Gremlins movies. Oh, I that's love, a good one too. I, I completely these. forgot. Yeah, these movies were great. I actually remember the second one more than the first. There was six yeah. years apart between those two movies. But uh, I, I always loved the little characters, and I even had the, the video game that yeah. they made for the Nintendo. And I, it was just one of my favorites. And again, it's one I don't own yeah. on DVD, and I'm not sure why. I always thought the girl gremlin was hilarious because there was a girl that we went to school yeah. with who looked exactly Just like, like her. her. So it was, <laughs> it was hilarious. <laughs> well, that's an excellent pick. and it, So far you have two that I wish I had thought of, so you're doing well. My number two pick is The Sword <laughs> in the Stone, the Disney animated film. I, it's I, I really, you had to have some Disney animated film, I felt, on the list. I agree, and I, I'm ashamed I don't have yeah. any animation on and, my list, and, uh, per se. For me, Sword in the Stone, it's not the best animated Disney film by any stretch, but for whatever reason, I loved it. I think just because I liked the story of King Arthur, I also liked some of the songs. I thought I thought Merlin was funny. 
you know, and I love, as a kid, the magical duel between Merlin and the witch yeah. was hilarious. I just loved that. It was it was perfect how he ends up turning into a bacteria and making her <laughs> sick. And it's just, it's great. It has a lot of stuff that, as a kid, you really enjoy. I think that's a fine choice. My number two choice, I'm going to put on a superhero movie. I'm putting on Tim Burton's Batman. And I think the Joker has always been my favorite Batman villain. That's what makes me excited for the the new one coming up. Although some of the uh, early screenshots look kind of interesting. But I love Tim Burton's creations. I thought of the four Batmans before Batman Begins... I think I screwed that up, didn't I say? The new Batman the, Begins. Whatever. You anyways. said the four Batmans before the new Batman Begins. Okay, well, anyways, the Tim Burton ones I liked, yeah. the Joel Schumacher ones I did not. Yeah. Before it turned into like a, a neon strip joint. Pretty Basically. Much yeah. But uh, the first Batman I did see in the theater, I think I went with a large, like it was a lot of family members and stuff. A whole bunch of us went. And it always takes me back. Did your mom best dress as the Joker? Did she best dress as... <laughs> Did she dress as the Joker? No. No. That would have been funny. <laughs> Alright, well that's that's a fine choice. I, I thought about the Batman spices. Well, that's a little... I don't think I got into them when I was actually a kid. I was probably more adolescent. Junior high age. But, alright. Well, my number one film, it has a strong tie-in with today's show. It is the 1986 Transformers movie. Dare to be stupid. Yes. You, okay. Just, I'm gonna list off these things and tell me if you don't think these remind you of the 80s. You have voice acting by Robert Stack, Judd Nelson, (laughs) Casey Kasem, Eric Idle... Weird Al Yankovic, who also performs a song. Yes. You have Stan Bush singing a song in it, which basically sounds exactly like a poor man's metal or hair band from the 80s. The, um, You've Got the Touch, I think was the name <laughs> of the song. And it's horrible, but it, it especially as a kid, you, you just, it definitely does get the emotions going. You know, you have The Death of Optimus Prime. The death of Megatron. Mm-hmm. You ha- also have the two villains of the film, Galvatron and Unicron, are voiced by two actors you would never suspect. <laughs> Galvatron is Leonard Nimoy, and Unicron is Orson Welles. I, just very bizarre. Quite a legacy yeah. from Citizen <laughs> yeah. Kane to the Transformers movie. <laughs> that is pretty sad, but... Yeah, Orson Welles did have a sad life, so... Oh, well, poor Orson Welles. I mean, I, I'm not saying that to be mean. It, it, he was... It was... He was very troubled in, in his later years. But in any event, though, Transformers is a great movie. I highly recommend watching it. Especially if you're into those old-school animated films. And actually, it's better than the Transformers movie we just saw. <laughs> it's at least more even. Alright, well, my number one choice, I kind of copped out. This has been on some of my lists, including my AFI's 
my version of the AFI Top 100 list. It was Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh -huh. And the reason this takes me back is I did see this in the theater as a kid. And so when it released, I probably was only maybe five, six years old. And I was actually, I was truly afraid of the villain in this movie. Yeah. yeah I'm, you you know, had a thing with Christopher Lloyd when you were a kid, didn't you? Because he, he's, he's made your list at least twice. Yeah, so. I know, he has. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. What it was, I mean, you look at it now, and I guess that's just how we mature. But I just loved the character of Roger Rabbit. Yeah. And, of course, I thought it was cool having a, a live-action cast interact with the animation. I even remember the animated short before the movie where he's taking care of the baby. Yeah. And it was hilarious. So it makes well, yeah, in a lot of movies, and this is another movie that could have made my childhood bliss. Honey, I Shrunk the Kid. I remember also had a Roger Rabbit short before it, and mm -hmm. and around that time of the Roger Rabbit movie, and shortly thereafter, a lot of movies from Disney had that short Roger Rabbit, right? But uh, not anymore. You don't no. see shorts too often, except for in front of Pixar films. Well, so that's our list. The, we'd love to hear your list of what reminds you of your childhood. So if you think about it, just give us an email at thosemovieguys at gmail.com, and we'll be happy to respond to you, or if we get a chance to comment on it on the show. Well, next, this week coming up, we have a few movies coming out that look interesting, perhaps. On DVD this Tuesday, we have The Astronaut Farmer coming out, which you said you'd like to see. It I, might I'm, be good. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm a little more uh, doubtful, a little skeptical on that. It has the Spider-Man guy, Jameson. It, oh, does it? Yeah, I forget his, oh. his name. But. Well, that, that's cool. He's cool. <laughs> He's good as Jameson. Yeah. We then have uh, The Last Mimsy coming out, which looked awful. <laughs> <laughs> and, and finally, we have Sweetland. And Sweetland is, uh, and it's, it's, it's kind of a story about the immigrant experience, and actually it looks very good, and I have that in my Netflix queue for the week. And then coming to theaters, really, there's only one big name coming out this Wednesday. A lot of midnight showings Tuesday, and that's Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. I know you haven't really seen a lot of the Harry Potter films. I will no, be watching it, and I'll either post a review of my own early, or on next week's show, I'll just blather about it to you. And, well... You'll you'll get to sit and listen Either to talk that or about maybe it. we could have a special episode with guest reviewer Booker. Well, I think that would just I could tell you what that would say right now. Everything's great, it's a five out of five. Okay. I don't think there'd be any fault. I, I think if you're looking for Booker to fault a Harry Potter movie, you're I'll be looking along. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He he's a little too much of a fanboy there. But anyways, that's what we've got. Next week, we will probably be watching Sicko. So in addition to our review of Harry Potter, we'll also have a review of Sicko, Michael Moore's newest documentary, which I think it's fair to say we're both very excited yes, to see. That. Yes, I am looking forward to that. So once again, if you have any comments or questions or queries, just drop them at thosemovieguys at gmail.com. And we'll see you next week.
Okay, that's all for today's show. If you would like to review any of the ratings that we gave the movies that we covered today, please visit thosemovieguys.blogspot.com. There you can find more in-depth reviews, our star ratings, as well as links to items that we may have covered in the show. Plus, you can subscribe to our feed. Also, you can visit Google Groups at groups.google.com. When you're there, search for Those Movie Guys. You can post a message to our forums. And you can also email us at thosemovieguys at gmail.com. Thosemovieguys at gmail.com. We look forward to any feedback that you can give us about why we're retarded. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.